up where we left off. So Matthew chapter 22, the first 14 verses this morning. It says, And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and the fatted calf are killed, or the fatted cattle are killed, and the things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways. One to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned their cities. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, and those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. Those whose servants... so. Those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on the wedding, a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Lord God, in your name, we just come before you as we have opened up your word. We have read your word, Lord. I pray that your word would penetrate our hearts right now and help me. As I share this, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So as we go back to verse 1, it's, it's quite interesting how this verse starts off to me as I was looking at this and studying this. The fact of the matter is that the religious leaders were not asking any questions. After they heard these two parables, it says that they perceived that he was speaking about them. And yet, it seems that Jesus is answering a question, but there's no question asked. The word perceived um, means aware, understand, know. In other words, they understood and they knew that Jesus was fingering them. (laughs) He was pointing the finger right at them with these two parables that he has just shared that we covered last week. And so whether or not they were saying anything, as it tells us in the, in the last verse, that they sought to lay hands on him, whether they were asking him questions when they were trying to grab him or whatever they were trying to do, it seems that at this point, Jesus, he, he is answering their perception or awareness, 
And he shares now another parable with them as if those other two parables were not enough. And, and I shared with you last week that Jesus was not playing nice here. He, he, is very, he is going at them very direct and they understand what is being said because these parables that are being shared with these guys are, are stories that they are very well familiar with. And so again, they're not asking a question, but Jesus is answering them as if they asked a question. And I just found that interesting. Now this parable that we have here from verses 1 through 14 in the Gospel of Matthew is not to be confused with the parable of the Great Supper that you have in Luke chapter 14, verses 16 to 24. And that particular parable and this one, they're very similar. They have many things in common, but they're not the same parable, although many Bibles reference that parable with this parable as it does in my Bible. Right at the beginning, at the header. <laughs> You can look up this one, but they are not the same. That one has to do with the dinner. And the people that are rejecting the dinner are apologizing for not being able to come in that sense. And, and, and that's another, a whole different story. This one is different. This one is rejection, as we have been seeing in the past. And so in the progression of these parables, as we continue forward, that Jesus is sharing with them, we have to take it in context that, again, there is no chapter break here. Not for them. <laughs> it is a continual conversation. And so what happens here as we look at the first and the second, now getting into the third parable, we see that in the first parable, it had to do with a father who had two sons, and one of the sons rejected what his father had asked him to go do or told him to go do. The second parable that we looked at last week had to do with a landowner, a father, if you will, who after sending servant after servant, sent his son. And in that parable, they, the, 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 the land or, or the, the vine dressers, ultimately rejected the son. And they put him to death. So it only stands to reason that as we now get into this third parable, that it has to do with the rejection of the Holy Spirit. Who is often the forgotten God, if you will, of the Trinity. And so stick with me in this as you're going, how are you pulling that one out of the hat? Stick with me. It says here that, again, he's sharing with them in the parable, but verse 2 says, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. And so in this parable, what we have and what we meet is a king, a father, if you will. And the son, and a son. And notice with me that the son is alive in this parable as opposed to what happened in the last parable. 
In spite of what the vine dressers had done to the son in the previous parable, the son is very much alive and he now has a bride because there's a wedding coming. And so the suggestion is that the Lord Jesus, that this is the Lord Jesus and his church. It's a picture of what was ahead for these religious leaders. And understand that we're still dealing with that generation. As we have been covering when Jesus was coming after them with the fig tree when he says, no more fruit for this generation. He was pointing to them particularly. And so this parable here is a depiction of the Lord and His church. So the period that is being described in this parable is after the resurrection and after the ascension, and it concerns the coming of the Holy Spirit who draws men or invites men unto himself or into the kingdom of heaven and invites them to partake in what is going to happen in the future when the marriage feast of the lamb takes place so this is way still in the future but he's inviting people to come and and it says that that this king who arranged a marriage for his son now even though in those days they had arranged marriages which i don't think is a bad idea today but most kids would say, not on your life, mom and dad. The one that you have picked out for sure is not the one. They will fight against that. But even, even though back in the day it was arranged marriages, and, and everybody in that day would have understand, understood that, exactly what it meant, that is not what it was, was meant here in the context here. But you could lean that way that, oh, it's an arranged marriage. It literally means here that the king gave a great wedding banquet or he had prepared or was preparing for a feast, a wedding feast or banquet, which again is still in the future. And so this, these two verses have to deal with something that's still ahead and he is drawing people to himself. And so, in other words, it almost seems like the guest list is being put together and the invitations are starting to go out. And it says that he sends, sends his servants to call those who were invited. There's two words, that Greek words that are familiar here with for us in verse 3, sent out and servant. We've covered those as we've gone through the, the Gospel of Matthew. The, the, the word sent out is apostolos, uh, means set apart, i.e. by implication, to send on a mission or commission. And the second word there for servants is doulos, a slave, literal or figurative, involuntary or voluntary Frequently, therefore, in a qualified sense a subject of subjection or subserviency, a, bond, a bondman or a bond servant. And I share that once again with you because I think as born-again Christians, we truly need to understand those words when it comes to being a servant and being sent out. Those are important words for us as, as the church, those of us who are part of the church, 
who are filled with the Holy Spirit because He is the one that draws people in, draws us in, but He's also the one that sends out. And so He sends people out. He sends disciples out so they can draw other people in. And He uses people. And, and I find it fascinating that God could have just used angels to do this job. He could have used just the Holy Spirit Himself who is often doing the work before we even get there, but he uses people like us, people who are born again, people who desire to be used of God to go and do the work. And that's what he is doing here. These servants are those who have now been called into the church to go out and invite people. And it says that he called those who were invited. What we truly need to understand is that the king here, the father, is still inviting the people of Israel to come unto him. In spite of what he knew they would be doing to his son, as we saw in the last parable. The father is still inviting. He is still drawing in. He is still calling out and throwing out the invitation to come. In the Old Testament, God called His people Israel to be a special people, a holy people, called out people. And in the New Testament, we see that Jesus came unto His own. He came to the Jews. Because Jesus was of the tribe of Judah. And He was of the lineage of King David. And so you see that, that it was God's plan to bring salvation to the Jews first. And it's interesting because even as we've been going on Thursday nights in the Old Testament, how, how God would use the nation of Israel, somebody who wasn't big at all, who wasn't anything special, but God wanted the nation of Israel to bring His light to the world. That whoever blessed them, they would bless. Whoever they cursed or cursed them would would pay the price basically but he wanted israel to be the light of the world he's the he used them to bring salvation to the world and so here in the new testament he's he's saying i will bring the 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 salvation or i'll bring salvation to the jews first so they can continue to go out in a different light in acts chapter 3 verse 26 it says to you first, and I'm going to give you a lot of scripture today, so you can be writing that down. Acts 3.26, it says, To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you. In turning away every one of you from his iniquity, or iniquities. In Romans 1.16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation, to everyone who believes, to the Jews, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And it is interesting when you go into the book of Acts, when you study the first seven chapters, basically, of the book of Acts, you discover that every one of those messages goes to no one else but to the Jews, it seems like. And in Acts chapter 2, it says, verse 5, And there were in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, 
from every nation under heaven. They all, all these Jews had gathered together for Pentecost. In verse 14 of that same chapter, it says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judah, and to all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you, and heed my words. Verse 22 of that same chapter, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you, by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. In verse 36 of that same chapter, it says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. In the next chapter of Acts 30, uh, 3, verse uh, 25 he says you are you are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made by your father by your fathers saying to Abraham in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed and the last one from Acts chapter 6 verse 7 it says then the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And so we see that in the beginning, as the church was birthed, as it began to grow and to go out into the surrounding areas there in Jerusalem, that it was mainly pointed towards the children of Israel that the gospel was coming to. And yet, as God has been showing mercy to them, even though they have just killed Jesus 40, 50 days earlier, and he has risen and now he has ascended, that, that the message after the day of Pentecost went right to the Jews, and Peter, in his first message, goes right after them. And some of them believed, but not all of them, but it tells us here that they were not willing. And when we are looking at that phrase, that they were not willing, that Jesus here comes to his own, and his own did not receive him, as a whole beginning with the religious leaders, the nation of Israel rejected him outright. As we saw in the last parable, that they would kill him and try to take the religious system what is for their own, and yet Jesus, uh, Jesus says, I'll give it to somebody else. So how did these religious leaders respond to the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the apostles and the disciples that were now being sent out by Jesus after he tells them at the end of Matthew, go therefore, make disciples of all nations? Well, they came against him as they were now preaching the risen Lord. They began to come after them because they did not want to believe that Jesus had raised from the dead. And they started persecuting the church. These same religious leaders who permitted John the Baptist to be killed and did nothing to help him also asked for Jesus to be crucified, as we will see in the coming months, and be killed. They themselves, these religious leaders themselves, were the ones that put to death Stephen, the first Christian martyr in Acts chapter 7. And they did nothing to help the Apostle James 
the brother of John, they did nothing to help him when Herod came after him to kill him in Acts chapter 12. And so he's telling them, here, I'm sending out servants, my servants, starting off a new work. These servants, I'm sending them out, but you were not willing to come. And then in verse 4, he says, again, he sent out other servants, saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and fatted cattle are killed And all things are ready. Come to the wedding. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it. And went their ways. One to his own farm. Another to his business. And the rest, they seized his servants. Treated them spitefully. And killed them. They were invited. And yet, once again, when they were not willing to come, we see the mercy of God. We see that He is long-suffering. We see that He will continue to, to send out the hound of heaven, if you will, through the Holy Spirit to once again invite those who are invited. They have been invited. Those who are of the house of Israel. And He sends them other servants. It, it seems that the first invitation was was basically save the date, if you will. (laughs) Sent them out the first time. Hey, save the date. The wedding is coming. And notice with me here that they were not willing to save that date. But now it was time to come. It was time, or the time had come to come. Because he sends more servants to them and says, Now I have prepared my dinner. In other words, it is at that point before we close the door on you. This invitation was extended to them. And even though they were not willing, they were invited again. in an effort to remind them that they are invited. The door is still wide open for you. And they will never, the Jewish people, the Jewish nation will never be able to say that God had not extended invitation upon invitation to them. I mean, whatever they might say throughout the history, when it comes to the last day, when the feast of, of, of the Lamb is happening... They will not be able, well, we weren't invited to come to that feast. Let's, yes, you were from the very beginning. When you guys were coming after him, he warned you, <laughs> nation of Israel, especially that generation. And it reminded me of what we looked at last week in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 4, where it says about, about the, the owner of the vineyard, where it says, What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not, not done in it? In other words, the Father, the King, the one who sits on the throne has done everything possible to reach His people. He has not held anything back from reaching out to the Jews in that particular time. Even though the religious leaders hated him and their hatred had blinded them, 
they were not willing to give one inch as a whole. Because we see that some individuals will come to him, but as a whole, they are rejecting him outright. And so the king in this parable is saying, I have sacrificed everything that is needed for those who are invited. <laughs> it's ready. And he says to them in, in, in verse 4, come to the wedding. What more? How much more blatant can he get by saying, no, you, come. <laughs> not, hey, make yourself ready. Not, not like, hey, once you fix yourself, then you can come. And he says, no, just come. Just come to the wedding. And what a beautiful word that is. That word come means by implication, come hither. <laughs> come here. Simply come. Come after me. Be my disciple is the implication there. The invitation was just, just come on. I won't hold nothing against you, Israel. Again, we've seen in the, in the prior parables that we have looked at that they said, okay, we'll come. No, we won't. Oh, this is the son. Let's kill him and let's take it off for ourselves. It says that they made light of it. In, in, in other words, they were careless and did not care for what had just been said and the invitation. They, they neglected that invitation. They disregarded that invitation. They, they didn't send back that, that RSVP little thing, you know, self-addressed envelope. They didn't. They just said, mm, we don't want it. They just rejected it outright. And they knew what they were doing because they made light of it. And they started doing to the disciples of Christ what, their, what they and their fathers had done to the prophets of old. The Holy Spirit had come upon the disciples and in boldness those disciples went out to invite those to come in. Their own people, because all the disciples were Jewish. <laughs> Every last one of them. They were Jewish and they went to their own people. They understood what was happening and God had sent them to them. And it says in, in, in Acts chapter 4, verse 30, speaking of the religious leaders, now when they saw, that the, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. You see, when Jesus was walking on the earth, their hatred was towards Jesus. Oh, they knew that he had his little disciples hanging around, and they probably knew who they were, but now that they are now the spokesmen for the gospel... The hatred that these religious leaders had for Jesus has now spilled over to his disciples who have now become the target of that hatred. Why? Because they preached Jesus, that he was alive, that he had risen from the dead. They came after them 
telling them, even, even uh, Stephen and, and Peter, they went right after them and said, you were the ones that killed him. But, <laughs> but he raised from the dead and you're invited to come back. You're invited to come in. And Jesus said this in Acts 15, or, or John 15, right before he is crucified, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. And so he's already warning the disciples, hey, this hatred that you have seen, you have witnessed, the religious leaders have for me, they will have for you. Welcome to the club. <laughs> and it says in verse 7, and when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burnt, burnt up their cities. The word furious here means to provoke or enrage, i.e. passively become exasperated, be angry, wroth. The king is fury, infuriated because of what has happened. Things have not changed not one bit. And he has given them time and time to repent and time and time to come. The invitation had kept on going out. And they continued to refuse and make light of it. And they began to do to his disciples what they had done to his prophets. And so the king, in response to, to them, becomes very angry. And it says that he sent armies to destroy their cities, to, to, to kill them, basically, to destroy the murderers, and to burn up their cities. And again, we're talking about that generation that lived in Jesus' time that were coming against Him, that fig tree that He says, you will never have fruit ever again. And in a, a sh short 40 years, they would be destroyed because He would send the armies of the Romans to come in and destroy them in 70 A.D. And so this is a picture of how God is dealing with the nation of Israel, the religious leaders, because they have rejected the Father. They have refused, they have refused to obey the, 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 the message that John the Baptist had when he came. They have rejected the Son by arresting Him and having Him crucified. And in His grace and in His patience and long-suffering, He sends witnesses to go and, and preach to them that Jesus is alive. The one you killed, He's alive. And you can come to the wedding. And so in essence, they are now rejecting the Holy Spirit and the message that He has given His disciples to go and preach. And these disciples were witnesses and they testified with great power that Jesus was alive. They were eyewitnesses of that. And so they knew what they were preaching. And the nation of Israel had an opportunity to come in. They were invited. And yet they rejected it. The miracles that, that, that we see in Acts, in the beginning of Acts, we see that, that God gave them these miracles so that there would be proof that God was in them, working in them and through them. And yet they continued to reject. And so Israel rejects the Holy Spirit, and the work that He wants to do. And with the stoning of, 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 of Stephen, we see that God's patience with Israel 
is beginning to end. And judgment will come upon that generation of Jews when he destroys those murderers and burns up their cities. Here's that implication from Stephen against the nation of Israel as they are about to stone him to death. In verse 51 of, of Acts 7 to verse 53, Stephen saying this, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. And so the implication, even as he is about to get stoned, (laughs) not a bad way, Stoned like stoned. Some of you guys are going, yeah. Don't go there. As Stephen is about to get killed and martyred with stones, he says, you have hardened your heart. You've become stiff-necked. And when he calls them uncircumcised, man, oh man, that just cut to the, cut to the heart with these guys. That was everything. And he says, you resist the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is now doing a work to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And that's what he had come to do. And these guys, the hatred that is seething within them continues to to grow. And, and, And they are so upset and so mad and furious that when Stephen stands up and preaches the gospel to them, they take stones and they come after him. To kill him. And he tells them, man, how long are you always refuse the Holy Spirit or resist? And so in verse 8, he says, And he said to his servants, The wedding is all ready, and those who were invited are not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. The time had come and would be coming that those who were invited from the very beginning, because they were not willing, now Jesus says they will not be worthy to come. Their rejection is costing them dearly. And and, and again, they continue to fight after God continues to send out these invitations for people to come on in. They're going, no way. And they continue to fight against it. He says, now they're not worthy to come because he is coming after them. And I told you, Jesus is not playing nice here. Because when he is telling this to them, they are getting cut to the heart even as he speaks to them about this parable. 
Now we need to understand that again, this parable is talking about the nation of Israel as a whole who would be rejecting them because the fact of the matter is many individual Jews would be coming to the wedding feast as we see in the beginning of Acts. That for, for, for the, most of those chapters, those seven chapters, it is the Jews who are coming in and, and being saved. But as a whole, they're continuing to fight against this movement of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, therefore, go. He says, these guys aren't worthy. Go into the highways. Go into the exits. In other words, go to the main streets and exit the cities and start going further than Jerusalem. Start going into those uh, surrounding areas that surround it. And it's interesting because we, we get to the place that after these guys have been spitefully used and, and abused and killed, that, that there are still servants who are willing to go and exit and get out of that place and go into the highways and byways, basically. And so they are to go beyond. And in Acts chapter 8 we read that the message reaches the Samaritans and God uses one of the the, the men, one of the, uh, the, the, the deacons, if you will, Philip, to go and preach to the Samaritans, which were considered a half-breed. They were half-Jewish, half-Assyrian and all. And he says, go to them. And in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 1 to, five, to 4, it says, now Saul, this would become the Apostle Paul. Now Saul was consenting to his death, speaking of, of Stephen. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the region of Judea and, uh, and Samaria, or Judah and Samaria, except the Apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations over him. As for Saul, he, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Because of the persecution that came in, that God allowed to come in, those who were now following after Jesus, many of them, most of them, Jewish people were exiting <laughs> into the highways. Because of the persecution, they were now being forced out, <laughs> if you will, kind of kicked out of the nest, if you will, to go out. Except for the disciples, they were all going to hang out in Jerusalem, but we see that even with them, they would be going out here and there. And in Acts chapter 10, we see that, that, that it reaches the Gentiles in, in Caesarea, which is over by the coast. And it would be Peter, one of the disciples, who goes to the house of Cornelius and he brings the gospel of Jesus Christ and that he is risen. And he comes to the Gentiles. And, and the gospel goes on from there and it keeps going and going and going and it has reached us today. And we get to hear the gospel even today. Because those guys were scattered. They exited. They went into the highways. And, and the invitation was going out. And the fact of the matter is that the wedding 
is still in the future, even as we speak. The wedding is still in the future. And we, we are the ones that have taken the place of those servants that we're reading about here. We are those servants. We are those doulos that are being sent out today. Oh, we might not have the title of apostles, but we're disciples nonetheless. And we are the ones that are being called to go. We are commissioned to go. And he says, And as many as you can find, invite to the wedding. You know the great part about that? Is that the king was not selective back then. He wasn't. He just said, And as many as you can find, anybody, they have a pulse, go talk to them. Go talk to them. It doesn't matter. Both good and bad. <laughs> go, go and talk to them. Now I know, I understand that he is not talking theological here. Because I know some of you Bible scholars and, and, and Bible students can rest at ease that he's not talking theological. He is just because we understand there is none good. He's talking in general terms. That there will be some who are worse than others. Go to them too. Do not be selective. You invite all. And I'm so glad that he's not selective. Because <laughs> some of you wouldn't be selective in my eyes. <laughs> I wouldn't select you. You probably wouldn't select me either. Going, mm, nah. <laughs> but I'm so happy and so glad that the Holy Spirit's not that selective. He says, Zeke, you got a pulse? Yep. Come here. Come here. <laughs> Invite them all, he says. Invite everybody. I, I, I love the fact here that it says, go out and invite as many as you can, wherever you can find them, good and bad, whoever they are, and bring them in. And it says, and the wedding hall or banquet was filled with guests. You know, how much time do I have? I, I, as I was kind of thinking about this, I was thinking, there are those groups of Christians who believe, and I understand their mindset, that, that, that in heaven there's only going to be this very small people. And, 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 and I understand that there will probably be less people in heaven than there will be in hell. I understand that. But it almost sounds like these people that are going, oh no, there's only going to be like a handful, you know, like in the ark. There's only going to be eight. And it's like, you're kidding me. And, and they're the ones, oh, you're part of that eight, right? Well, of course. <laughs> and, and it almost seems as arrogance that only a, a select few of us are really going to heaven. Now, again, totally understand. Some of you guys are already freaking out. It's like, what is he saying? Everybody, I'm not talking universalism. That everybody gets saved. I'm not talking that. Understand that. But I don't know how, how big this wedding hall is. But it will be filled to capacity. Amen. There will be a lot of people there. And, and it just reminds me of... And, and I will just use Calvary chapels. Okay? I won't pick on anybody else. And I heard this story a long time ago. Some of you guys already probably know. That, that, that there's this group walking through heaven... You know, St. Peter, right? He's walking people through heaven. And he turns around and goes, shh. 
stay quiet. And they're going, why? He goes, because the guys from Calvary Chapel are in that room and they think they're the only ones here. <laughs> That's why I use Calvary Chapels, okay? They think they're the only ones that made it. And the truth of the matter is, this banquet hall will be filled. And those people who you think will never make it because you're very selective in who you share with, the Holy Spirit is not. And the least person that you would, you would select will probably be going, hey, bro, what's up? And you're going, you're probably going, I don't know if I want to be here anymore. <laughs> I couldn't go to the same church they were at. I don't know if I could be in the same heaven they're at. Knock it off. <laughs> The banquet hall is going to be filled because anybody and everybody is invited to come, whether they meet your standards or not. Anyway, I'm going to get off my little... I should, I should just have a soapbox up here every once in a while. Pull it out. And if I get a little taller like Albert, you know, you're going to know. It's like he's on a soapbox right now. Anyways... 11 through 14. But when the king came to see the guests, he saw a man who was not, who did not have the wedding garment, a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away and cast him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you see, this is where some of those groups would say, see, see, there are going to be people in there. And, and I, I totally get it, man. There's people in the church, man, who look the part, but when you look down inside, they're not dressed like everybody else. They're just They're, they're, they're just not. Now, it wasn't out of the ordinary for the host of the party or the wedding to make an appearance before the grand entrance so that he would come in and check it all out and make sure that everything was the way he wanted it and the way he expected it to be. And so it wasn't uncommon also in those days for the host to provide festive garments, garb for the people. Because especially in this situation where he was just inviting anybody and everybody to come. And he knew that there was both good and bad, rich and poor, that were invited to come in. And so everybody gets the same garment. Even though you might be able to afford festive garments, you would put on the ones that he is providing for you. Because I want everybody to look the same. Everybody has the same garment. And this garment, this whole thing, again, is pointing towards the righteousness of Christ. And, and I could guarantee you this garment that he provided for this wedding was probably nothing fancy. It was probably just common. 
And he brought that because he wanted the, the good to be brought down low and the bad to be brought up. So there's a level playing field all the way across, just like he does with the proud and the humble, doesn't he? He brings down, the, brings down the proud and raises up the humble. And there's always a level playing field within the church. Always in, in Christ's eyes. And so I know that when you look at this, he comes to, to this man and, and listen what he says. He calls him friend. How did you, how, how, how did you come in here? How did you come in here without a garment? I've provided it for you. Understand that. He provided the garments. This gentleman walks in and bypasses the garments and comes in. And when he calls him out on this, the man is speechless, which tells you the man knew what he was doing. In other words, I will come in on my own terms, on my own requirements. He says, servants, Bind this man hand and foot and throw him into the place of Gehenna, basically. Where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it is really bad when he puts a G in front of it. Gnashing. It is gnashing of teeth. Because again, and, and some would look at this and go, well, that's not fair. He invited anybody and doesn't God take us just the way we are? And this is just the way this man was? And that's the way he came in? And it's like, no, he, he calls everybody just the way they are. But he says, hey, if you're really going to follow after me, put on Christ. Let's take off that old garment and put on the new garment, which is the new man, which is Jesus Christ on us. Because that, and we know, he, that is the only way to enter into the presence of the Father. And so this man... Instead of putting on the prescription, the method that he has called everybody into this wedding, this man foregoes that and decides, I will try to come in and I will walk in in my own righteousness. And those who try to walk in in their own righteousness will be cast out. All of this points to the righteousness of Christ. And the king has every right to dole out the judgment for not following his prescription. Oh, the last verse here. Many are called, but few are chosen. And again, many will say, see, there's only going to be a handful of us, dude. We're going to be in that room, man. Nobody's, nobody else is going to be there, just us, our little group, right? But again, we've got to take all of this in context here of what's been going on. In these parables, we saw Jesus use this back in, in Matthew 20, verse 6, the same little phrase. And we hear him once again say this. And again, keeping with the context of the parables that we have covered last week and this week, when he is dealing with that generation of Jewish people and that nation at that time, he called many of the Jews to come. But only a few of those Jews took him up on that invitation. So many were called, but only few were chosen. Again, when it comes to the grand scheme of things, <laughs> when it comes to, to, to the, the church, I don't know how that's going to work. Except, I know I'm chosen. Maybe, I don't know about you. 
Maybe I'm going to be in that room and like, shh, Zeke thinks he's the only one here. <laughs> Bunch of sinners. I would be a fool to think that. The invitation is still wide open. It truly is. And I don't know who you are today. <laughs> you, you may have be, been sitting here all the while, all the time. And I don't know which, which clothes you have on or not, man. I don't know if you've ever put on the righteousness of Christ. And so I will throw out that invitation once again. Hey, the wedding feast is going to happen one day. And if you think that you're going to come in on your little righteousness that, that is as filthy rags as, as the word says, you're mistaken. But the invitation today is like, put on Christ. Accept Him as your Lord and Savior. He is the only prescription for you to be able, the only method you can get into heaven is to put on Jesus. Again, man, I am not worthy. You are not worthy. Don't even think that you are. <laughs> so put on Christ. And I want to give you that, that opportunity even as we pray. Father in heaven, Lord, <clears throat> what an amazing portion of Scripture, Lord. The grace and the mercy that you continue to show the generation that you were dealing with right before your eyes as the Word of God was in their presence and speaking to them and bringing this judgment upon them, Lord. And yet they, cons they, they consistently and continually rejected you as a whole. Lord, I'm grateful that even through your Word, especially when we look at the book of Acts, Lord God, that many who were called, they came. And they will be part of the wedding feast. The Lord, at one point, Lord, you cut Israel off. As a nation, but as individuals, Lord, you continue to woo them and minister to them. And we're grateful for your, per for your persistence. Lord, here we are this morning. Lord, you have sent out servants to continue to bring people in. And Father, I want to be one of those servants, Lord, that invites people to come into the kingdom. And if you're here this morning and you know who you are, whether you've come in here in your own righteousness or you've truly humbled yourself under the, the, the righteousness of who Christ is, that only through Him you can be saved. I want to give you that invitation that you would come and that you would raise your hand and say, Pastor, I need Jesus in my life. I don't know who you are. I don't know. I, I, I can't see your heart. But God does. And He knows that if you've been trying to come in in your own righteousness, He will reject you outright. And so if there's anybody, just lift your hand, slip your hand up so I can see it. And I just want to pray for you. And as I pray for you, that you would pray and receive Jesus. Is there anyone this morning? Don't miss it, man. <laughs> Father, we come before you and we thank you and we praise you, Lord. That your invitation, Lord God, goes out to as many. And Lord, I thank you that you're not selective, Lord. I thank you, Lord God, that you are willing to bring anybody in. Lord, I thank you that you're the one that provides the garments. That we don't have to try to fit in, Lord. We are in. 
And I thank you for that, Lord. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here, Lord. As you have called us as servants to go out, Lord, and continue to bring other people into the kingdom, Lord. Give us the opportunities this week, Lord, with our coworkers, our families here in this community to reach out and invite people to come, Lord. We bless you. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives and in this church. Go with us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing this last song. God bless you guys, and I love you.